You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, as we come to God's word in a moment, we're going to sing before we, we do so a song which helps us to prepare our hearts and to pray for God's help. So let's stand and sing. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word and pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Amen. So return to Genesis 12, and which is just such a key chapter in the book of Genesis. In fact, one of the commentators I was reading this week said that he thought that 
uh, Genesis 12 was the most important chapter in Genesis, which I was surprised at. You think, well, what about Genesis 1 and 2 and 3? But it, it possibly that's an overemphasis, but certainly Genesis 12, God's promise to Abram is of crucial importance and really then sets the, the stage for the rest of Scripture as God then works in fulfillment to his promises and as these promises then just unfold um, throughout the rest of Scripture. So of crucial importance, that first uh, paragraph, particularly uh, 1 to, to 9, that call of Abram and then this sevenfold promise of blessing whereby God really promises to reverse uh, the curse on the whole of creation um, and promises to, to bring about blessing through the family of Abram. So we, we saw that uh, last week and now we come to Genesis 12, 10 to 20. It's a wonderful text um, where um, Abram does the, the old trick of pretending his wife's his sister, which uh, he does, does a few times in Genesis. So let's come to uh, these, these words. Genesis 12, chapter 10. Sorry, Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Well, may God bless the, the reading and the preaching of his word to us this evening. So Abram goes down to Egypt because of the famine. And we know this is not the first time that he has packed up his tent. He's come, as we saw last week, all the way from Ur in the Chaldeans, in, in the Mesopotamia, the land between the rivers, uh, that great city, civilization, city of man. He's been called out and he's come all the way up to Haran and then down to the land of promise. And God has promised to give him uh, the land and promised that, his, well, he's promised that his seed, his offspring, would uh, have that land. 
God has promised him this, this land of great blessing, but when Abram gets there, what does he find? He finds, first off, that it's filled with enemies, it's filled with Canaanites, and then, in, and then he finds that there's this severe famine. So here we see there's this great tension, this great gap between the, the greatness of God's promise of blessing to Abram and then his actual experience of affliction and difficulty, of, of famine, and then he's going to go down and face a tyranny, really. So he's caught between famine and tyranny. And so you see that God makes these great promises to his people, but then often that our experience is, well, we're still waiting for the fulfillment of those great promises. So that, that is the tension of faith, really. So... Um, he comes to the land, and the structure of the, the tale is simple. Verse 10, uh, Abram goes down to Egypt to escape the famine. Verses 11 to 13, we read of Abram's plan. It's this speech to Sarai. And then we find Abram's uh, bride in trouble in the house of Pharaoh. And then... Uh, Abram's exodus. So it's a, a, a down uh, there and back again story um, here as it connected to, to the rest of the, the, the larger structure. So 12 and 13 really form a unit of going down to Egypt and then back out of Egypt. So verse 10, uh, he goes down to Egypt and there's a famine in the land, went to Egypt to sojourn there and the fam for the famine was severe in the land. So much like um, his grandson, Jacob, they would go down to the land to seek food. Um, so Abram goes. So these events really foreshadow that later sojourn in Egypt and foreshadow that later exodus. Just as we saw earlier that, that, that Abram's um, going to, to worship in the land foreshadowed the later conquest in the land so it's a choice, really. He's got a choice of, of getting out of the land or death, it seems. So I don't think here um, we're meant to see him acting sinfully or abandoning the promise. He doesn't go back to Ur. He doesn't even go back to Haran. Um, he goes to sojourn in uh, the land. Um, but it's, it's striking, isn't it, just the, the difficulty that he's plunged into. But then verse 11 to 13 uh, we find Abram's plan. Verse 11, when he was about to enter Egypt, so he's on the borders of Egypt, he says to, said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a beautiful woman in appearance. Now, Sarai, at this point, she's about 65, um, but still stunning, of stately bearing. Perhaps uh, cultural ideas of feminine beauty were uh, a little bit different. Perhaps she was no ordinary woman but that she is uh, striking and goes down and so he says um, when the Egyptians see you they will say this is his wife then they will kill me but let you live say you're my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake now what do we make of this here is Abram's plan is he just attempted to throw his wife uh, under the bus to save his own skin. I think we can look at it and just see very simply that he's just wanting to cast aside Sarai to save his own neck. 
Well, I think there may be more going on here. Um, as a husband, he sees himself just as, a, as an obstacle that will be removed. Uh, as a brother, he might feel that he's got some ability to negotiate and actually uh, be in a position to protect Sarai a little bit. And this was, as you read on in Genesis, like Genesis 20, um, you see that this was Abram's it was his standard operating procedure in every place he went to to do this. So sometimes it seemed to, to, to work that actually he might enter into these sort of negotiations with suitors and fend off the uh, unsuitable suitors and sort of keep up this ruse long enough to then exit. So maybe that was his plan, that they could enter Egypt and sort of keep this going until they'd got supplies loaded up and then they sort of escape at dead of night. It reminded me a bit of, perhaps you think of the, the Narnia story, the, the horse and his boy, when the, the Narnians are caught there in the city and they've got to come up with this ruse to try and escape from Susan marrying Rabadash, is it, or something. They've got to try and, try and come up with this some, some ruse to come to escape the city. and then. So it may be that Abram has got a plan and he thinks that this is the best way he can actually defend uh, Sarai, his wife, through this um, deception. She is his sister or half-sister. They had the same father but different uh, mothers. So, but here is his, his plan. Um, he's also, he's, he's there, he, he's saying that um, he's concerned for his own, um, that he, he's wanting his life to be spared. Um, he's possibly got a theological justification for his plan as well, in that he's been given the promise that through his seed, um, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So he might be reasoning, well, I've got to stay alive. And we haven't had the promise, he hasn't yet had the promise that this is going to be through Sarai. That comes later. We don't yet know that it's going to be through her. So it may be that he's coming up with this, this plan. Um, but it does look very much like he's just th is throwing his wife under the bus, really, and being a bit like sort of Adam in the garden who just uh, blamed, uh, blamed Eve for it, or, or sort of typ typical male... But behavior really, sinful masculine behavior anyway. And so um, he, he faces this situation. Um, there's obviously deep fear. He's, he's moved from a situation where there's been uh, potential starvation and he's now entering the tyranny of Egypt. So, um, you know, spare a thought for Abram. He's got to try and hold together this household of hundreds of people and provide for them. There's anxiety, seems to be uh, unbelief and all this sort of thing. And he certainly gets himself into a mess. So verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, um, as expected. But then there's a, a complication here. Something happened that Abram was not expecting. Uh, verse 15, when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So the most powerful man in the kingdom just takes her. She's essentially virtually kidnapped. Did Abraham negotiate? Did he have any choice in this? Um, 
I think Pharaoh here is just acting like a, a tyrant, seeing something he wants and taking it. And this is the way, really, through the whole of scriptures that, that pagan kings uh, act. They see something they want and take it. Um, and that's actually um, when Israel wanted a king, Samuel gave them a warning that, they, that what the king would be like. He'd be like the kings of all the other nations. And he talked about the king would, be, would just take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers and take your sons and talks of just the, the pagan kings taking what they want for their own purposes. And we see Solomon sort of acting like a pagan king, just taking women into his house. So that's the sort of characteristic of tyranny of old. And it's characteristic of tyranny today around the world. Powerful men taking what they want. So that is Pharaoh. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And you wonder, did Abram have any choice in the matter, really, in this negotiation? But Abram had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Now, there's an interesting detail here. You think, well, this is an odd order. And what's happening, the narrator is describing Abram's possessions in the precise order in which they would actually move in caravan, in procession. So you have uh, the, um, the human servants in the middle separating the male donkeys at the front from the female donkeys at the back so that the male donkeys wouldn't catch the scent of the female donkeys and cause havoc. So this order here is the order of, of the caravan um, and, and then the camels at the back and the camels are sort of the, the high class, it's the, like the Land Rover, Land Cruiser, sort of the high status vehicle at the back. So there's this great procession described in the order in which they would have then uh, travelled out of Egypt. So Abram is, is loaded down with all, all of these uh, possessions. Um, and then uh, he's given all this stuff, and, uh, and yet his bride is in the, the house of Pharaoh. But then verse 17 to 20, we see uh, God's exodus. We see God's exodus here. Verse 17, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Um, and the King James catches it quite nicely here. Um, it, literally, it's something like, he plagued Pharaoh with great plagues. And we're not told what the plagues are, but it's, uh, we naturally think of those later plagues of Egypt. It's the same word that is used there. And here, this is just crucial, isn't it? Here, sort of Abram acts in its faithlessly, really, um, or at least his wife is taken into this, this harem. Um, but yet the Lord himself enters the arena to fight for the bride. The Lord himself fights to uh, protect uh, the bride. The Lord himself acts to deliver Sarai from slavery in Pharaoh's house, just like he would later come down to deliver his people from being slaves in Pharaoh's kingdom, Pharaoh's house. So the Lord is looking after Sarai. And this happens again in, in Genesis 20 with Abimelech as Sarah's taken into him. And, and there we read that uh, the Lord kept Sarai safe from, from 
violation, her virtue was intact. And presumably the same happens here. He defends Sarai. Well, Pharaoh somehow comes to learn of the truth and then confronts Abram. He hits the roof and says, um, Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? And uh, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now, I don't think we're supposed to feel too sorry for Pharaoh. You know, here, here I was innocently taking a woman into another woman into my harem. How dare you? So here, really, I think we're meant to see the, the anger of a, of a tyrant who is not getting his way, a tyrant who has been deceived. And he, he clearly recognises uh, something of the Lord's hand here. Um, he, he just sends them away, all away, um, now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And so they're expelled. This is their exodus, mini exodus from Egypt. Um, and so they, they go out there. So this great caravan, this company, and, and those that Abraham came down with, and this greater caravan of the, the, the donkeys at the front and then the, the male servants and, and the female servants at the back. Um, and they, so, so Abram comes out in this mini exodus, which is the microcosm of the bigger exodus, and comes out with, with plunder, with spoil from Egypt. And comes out with um, these servants, male and female servants, who if you think about it, they have been brought out from the house of Pharaoh, brought out from tyranny to be in Abram's house. And then as you follow the story later, we find that those servants then get, actually get incorporated into the covenant people of God. So really, you might look at this and think, oh gosh, there's slaves here, slaves in Pharaoh's house, and then slaves in Abram's house. But as we read the story forwards, we see the whole of the Bible really is a story of slaves set free. And those who are then Abram's house and then uh, moving on, get, become incorporated into the covenant people of God. So here is this sort of mini exodus as they are brought out from Pharaoh's house. Well, what do we see as we look at this wonderful story? What do we see? Well, one of the things we see, we just see God's faithfulness to his, his own promises, even in the faith, face of um, Abram's unfaithfulness. We see God's faithfulness to his promise, even with sort of questionable um, tactics, and unbelief, fear, anxiety, sin uh, in, in Abram. God is acting to protect uh, the promised seed, the one through whom all the promises will be worked out. God is coming to act to deliver his people. So the promise through Genesis focuses on the, the promised seed, the promised offspring. Initially, it's going to be uh, Isaac as the story develops. Um, and, and, but God is yet um, securing and protecting that future. So Abram couldn't defend his, his wife. The Lord himself comes down to act and defend his bride, to protect and bless. So he steps in. So here we just see God's faithfulness to his own 
purposes. And really, that is the whole record of, of Genesis. And then on into Exodus, we see uh, the failure of God's people and yet God's faithfulness, his faithfulness to bless his people, even in the face of human unfaithfulness. And we see God's sovereign power as well, his ability to do this, to, to come down and to, to just blow apart, as it were, Pharaoh's house and just draw out these people there. In microcosm, just this picture of this, this bigger exodus that God is bringing about. And we see, see all that working out through the book of Exodus. And also in, in the book of Exodus, we see, as we see here in microcosm, and God, as God comes down, he brings out a great multitude of people. As he brought Israel out of Egypt, he brought out the mixed multitude with them and a great quantity of spoils. So that happens again. And that great mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with Israel, they then become incorporated into the covenant people of God. I mean, sometimes when we think of Israel in the Old Testament, we, th we think of Israel being uh, racially defined as sort of blood descendants of Abram um, and Sarai, and many of them were. Uh, but actually, it's broader than that. They're covenantally uh, defined as many people are incorporated into God's covenant people. And so here in this sort of pl this plundering of, of um, Egypt here, then that gets, in, it, that gets repeated at a larger scale in the Exodus as this great company are brought out and are incorporated into God's covenant people. And yet all of these things then point forwards to what God is going to do in Jesus Christ. And that's probably, particularly the second half of the book of Isaiah speaks of, in terms of this a great new Exodus that God is going to bring about through uh, coming to deliver his people. The Isianic new exodus that God is going to bring about. And that is what we see when we come to the, the New Testament. We come to the, uh, particularly the book of Luke that we're in in the mornings, picks up on this theme of uh, Jesus, uh, the, the promised uh, son of Abram, son of David, who is going to bring about the deliverance of his people. So remember at the, at the transfiguration of Christ, um, Jesus speaking to, um, to, to, to Moses and Elijah at the transfiguration, and Luke says that they're talking about the, the deliverance that he was about to bring in Jerusalem, and literally talking about the exodus that he was about to bring in Jerusalem. So in Christ, we see the Lord himself stepping down into the tyranny of this world as we are under the, the tyranny of Satan and unbelief, and the Lord himself steps in to deliver a people for himself and to bring us up out of the house of slavery and to bring out a great number of people and to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness and to bring us in to the kingdom of light. So we are, as it were, uh, as non-Jews, I think most of us, uh, that mixed multitude, that rabble, those who have been drawn out of the, that the kingdom of, of Satan, the kingdom of tyranny. And, and um, Paul speaks in these terms of, um, of what God is doing in the gospel. In, um, he in 2 Corinthians 2.14, it says, Thanks be to God who in Christ 
always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The idea there is a, a conquering king coming down and delivering captives, bringing captives to himself. So we are uh, the delivered plunder, as it were. So here we see all these things come to be fulfilled in Christ as Christ himself steps in, as Christ himself, the, the promised one, um, comes into the, the prison house of slavery and sin and death and bears on himself the curses uh, of the law to deliver a people and to rescue us. So Christ is, is the promised seed um, and we, we see that, that deliverance worked out in the gospel. And then actually as he brings us to himself and as, as we are his people, um, we know that the Lord, just as he delivered his people of old, from, from Exodus, he will continue to deliver and guide his people. He continues to guide us as we look to him and as we trust in him. Even if we are um, faithless, he remains faithful. So Paul says that in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. God continues to act in fulfillment to these great covenant promises. He continues to just bring and deliver a people to himself. And so the kings of the earth have their plans, don't they? Pharaoh had the plans and the kings through the Bible, you see the various kings have their plans to build these great kingdoms. But God comes in and he is building his kingdom. And so as we think of the events in the world at the moment, the kings of the world have their plans, don't they? Putin has a plan for a strong Russia. Um, the rulers of the West have their plan for a, a free and democratic and uh, godless democracy. Um, and yet God has his plans to, to build his kingdom throughout the world. And, and as the gospel is to proclaim, to bring people from among all the nations to himself, to worship the Lord, uh, to bring people to, the, to, to, to know the true and living God, to bring about this mighty deliverance. So... This really is a story of deliverance, and that is the story of the gospel. It's a microcosm of that, and we, we live in that, that bigger story, as it were. And of course, we also look forwards to that our coming deliverance. That is the, the, the end of the story and what we are, are waiting for and what we're promised. And so as we pray for believers around the world and, and folks who are in bitter distress and difficulty um, and affliction, and, and for those who are sick and ill um, or facing death, we, as God's people, we, we serve um, the Lord who, who raises the dead and the Lord who is promised to come again. And so as we read the New Testament, we also look forwards to our coming exodus, to that ultimate deliverance as God uh, redeems his people and finally brings us to, uh, a, to the new creation and liberates us from that bondage to decay. And, and Paul picks up on this again in, in Romans 8, and we'll, we'll come down to land here in these, uh, these verses in Romans 8, uh, 22. This is the Apostle Paul saying, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. 
Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so that is that final call, really. We are waiting for our final exodus. And may God give you strength and help as you hope in him. Let's pray together. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk for more. Thank you.